What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to another edition of NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride. NFL University is brought to you by DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That's code SBNNFL only at the DraftKings Sportsbook. Got plenty to get to on today's show. It's uh, Madden ratings week, so there's obviously an uproar as there is each and every season when those drop. Uh, We're going to give you some breakout rookies that we like for the upcoming NFL season. And then after the break, we are going to sit down with president of the Pro Football Researchers Association, George Bozica, to discuss the upcoming Hall of Fame candidates and the guys that he likes and the guys that he thinks should get in to the next Hall of Fame class. So going to do all that on today's show. I need to welcome in Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co., as well as Kyle Posey of Niners Nation. Where we're going to start, though, and and Justice brought this to our attention. Uh, This is a tweet from Max Meyer. The most popular NFL wager by handle in July at the Caesars Sportsbook has been the Lions over six wins. Dan Campbell has drawn the most money overall to win coach of the year, and DeAndre Swift has drawn the most money overall to lead the NFL in rushing yards. I wanted to talk about this because I'm as big a Lions fan right now as I feel like anybody is. Like, I, I think that they're headed in the right direction. I know somebody who is legitimately a Lions fan, and I feel like I have more faith in this team right now than he does because he's just used to being disappointed by them. I think they're headed in the right direction. I think Dan Campbell is going to be a good coach, but I'm not willing to commit money to the Lions. Like, I, I'm not there just yet. I feel like we got to slow down a little bit because I've, I've seen some people picking the Lions as a wild card team, like to actually make the playoffs. And I am not there yet with the Jared Goff led Lions. Is that Lions fan on this podcast? <laughs> it's no. me. It's me, baby. <laughs> Restore the roar. We're doing it. Look, this, this is all I'm saying. Okay. Six wins. The way to think about win totals right is single score games or double score games single score games you could look over historically you know by quarterback by uh head coach anything they usually even out right even if you look at the college level like alabama is good at college football because they blow teams out not because they win close games right um those are those are generally coin flips that's where you see the most randomness in the sport So what you're trying to identify is games that they're either going to be two-score underdogs or two-score favorites. At home, they get the Eagles, the Commanders, the Seahawks, the Dolphins, the Packers, the Bills, the Jaguars, Vikings, and the Bears. I think they're only going to be a two-score underdog at home in one game, and that would probably be uh, the Buffalo Bills, and that's going to be on a short week. I think that's Thursday night football. Um, Away, it's the Vikings – Patriots, Cowboys, Bears, Giants, Jets, Panthers. None of those that that's not a death row. And then week 18, which who knows if the Packers are even going to be playing their starters by that point, they get the Packers on the road. So I really do think like, okay, so they're going to be underdogs by two scores in two games, with the games being, you know, home against the Bills, away against the Dallas Cowboys, which is after a bye for them. So you take two out of there. Divide by two. I mean, that gets them to like seven, seven and a half. That's an over. I, I still think this team is a contender to be in that that seven spot in the wild card race. There's just not enough teams competing there. Like you can't convince me New Orleans, Philadelphia, Arizona are for sure going to be better than this Lions team. There is no doubt in my mind that New Orleans is going to be better than the Lions. I cannot believe you just said that out loud. Holy smokes. Have you looked at the rosters? Have you the looked at the differences of the rosters? Look yes, at the Saints' I've, offensive line now. 
It's no good. I'm well aware that but they lost players along the offense. Who's their head coach? I'm also not Sean Payton. Because he's trying to get the Dolphins job. Jared Goff against the Saints defense. How many points did the Lions score? I've seen Jared Goff in a Super Bowl. <laughs> Jared Goff. It's very simple. With the Lions without Sean McVay. Do you understand? Do you hear this logic, Steve? How can you not jump in here? There was a roar, baby. There was a game last year where Jared Goff had been so bad that Dan Campbell took over the play calling and he was just like, I'm just going to run it like 60 times. <laughs> he couldn't do anything. Or the ball at all. I mean, <laughs> I'm excited about the Lions. I think they are going to be entertaining to watch this season. And I do think that they can win over six games. I don't think that's a terrible bet. I just think we got to slow down on the Lions a little bit. It's off season. We're getting a little too hyped on Detroit at the moment. And we, we just got to slow it down a little bit. Buy the dip. Buy the dip on the lines. <laughs> They're taking all the stock, baby. Trade the quarterback in a man. Yes. Hell, go get Jimmy G, and, and I might have a little bit more confidence um, in, in the Lions squad. A little bit. Maybe not that much more. But go, go do something. Jared Goff's not it. But as I mentioned, Madden ratings have been dropping all week, and – each and every year, there there's uproar, I feel like. Um, they did just this morning release the top safeties in the NFL. Their highest-rated safety is Tyron Matthew at 94. Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think anybody at EA Sports watched Tyron Matthew play football last season. If they still think he's the best. I didn't realize that. I, had, I hadn't Chiefs seen Chiefs let that. him walk, man. Chiefs were content with letting him walk. Chiefs <laughs> let him walk and upgraded at safety, in my opinion. With Justin Reed, and I know that you know we don't know what Justin Reed's going to be outside of the Texans, but I feel pretty good about Reed having a better season in 2022 um, than Honey Badger. Where was Justin Simmons? Because I just got done watching the Broncos, and I have even more takes on that guy. Justin Simmons is number six at 91. He's tied with Micah Hyde, uh, who was just ahead of him at 91. Derwin James is number two behind Tyron Matthew at 93, by the way. Just barely, huh? <laughs> Not good enough to be on the honey badger with all those skills he has. Makes perfect sense. So they add, like, animations every year, right? And they usually like going with, like, you know, a celebration or something like that. Like, a guy does the gritty. They want to put the damn gritty in the game just to be able to market around that. Do you think they have the Tyron Matthew uh, animation where he just throws his hands up after getting burned and just throws out his teammates? Yeah. <laughs> he, takes a, he takes a poor angle or misses a tackle. He looks at Dan Sorensen like it's Sorensen's fault. Yeah, just both like, hands up. Like, what, what, am I, what are we doing here? They should add that to the game, actually. Although oh, they're still teammates, Dan Sorensen plays for the Saints now. No so. way. Oh, See, and you you think the Saints are going to beat my Lions for that? Michael Thomas comeback story. I can't believe it. <laughs> Dan Sorensen is what you're you're hitching your wagon to. Well, you you mentioned Michael Thomas, so we can talk about the wide receivers that they released earlier in the week. Da- Devontae Adams, uh, of course, bar. at ninety nine. Cooper Cup at ninety eight. Number two, Tyree Kill, ninety seven. Number three, but Michael Thomas was rated, I believe, if I remember this correctly. Oh, no, maybe he wasn't. Okay, okay. I thought Michael Thomas was higher. It was the ESPN rankings that had Michael Thomas rated in the top 10 for whatever reason. Okay, so we can backtrack on Speaking on the difference between the ESPN ratings and the Madden ratings, Jamar Chase was like a 87 overall or something in, in the Madden ratings. We were just talking last week, someone in the NFL, you know, assuming they're in, you know, personnel department, had him ranked, you know, as high as second overall in terms of the wide receiver board. I I don't understand how there's this big of a disconnect on Jamar Chase where it's like, no, he's better than an 87 in Madden, but he's also not the second best wide receiver in a loaded position in terms of talent right now in the league. Okay. I got to backtrack that again. Michael Thomas, Michael Thomas was not in the top 10, but he is still rated as a 90. So he's higher. He's higher than Chase. See, no, he is. They have Jamar Chase at eighty-seven. Yes. Who do you think would take Thomas over Chase at this point? No one. Would the Saints take Thomas over Chase? No. No. (laughs) They just drafted Chris Olave because they probably don't trust Michael Thomas. They signed Jarvis Landry because they probably know they need another guy. Um, Chase does literally everything better than Michael Thomas. I imagine. Wide receivers behind Michael Thomas in their ratings this season. 
Tyler Lockett, Chris Godwin, DK Metcalf, Debo oh, Samuel, three, Adam three, Thielen, four. DJ Moore, AJ Brown, Brandon Cooks, Jamar Chase. Incredible, man. DJ Moore is the only one where I'm like, maybe. But and I want I, to see what Michael Thomas looks like on the field again. I was going to yeah. say, and give DJ Moore Drew Brees. And, and... Yeah. Yeah, he might score more than like three touchdowns, uh, which is basically his entire NFL career. So, yeah, those are the wide receivers. Um, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely crazy. They also dropped the edge rushers. Um, Miles Garrett at number 99, and I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I think Miles Garrett is exceptional, obviously, and you know they don't put Aaron Donald in the edge rushers category because he's a defensive tackle, but Miles Garrett at 99, TJ Watt at 96, Nick Bosa at 94, Von Miller 92, Khalil Mack 92, I think that there's a case that TJ Watt should be higher than a 96. I mean, he was the defensive player of the year. He was, he's been dominant the last two seasons. Like he, he is an exceptional player and him being three points behind miles Garrett just doesn't seem right. I mean, you don't even have to say like he's been dominant the last two seasons. I mean, since he stepped into the league, he's basically been a significant contributor. He's played five years. He already has 72 sacks. Like he's going to crack a hundred sacks, you know, within, what is that? Seven years, which is something crazy. Like he's, you know, on a runway right now to become a, a pro football hall of famer. So I, yeah, at, in his prime, you would assume that he'd be a little bit higher. I think it's closer to a debate of if it's Garrett or Watt at number one, rather than just anointing Garrett at number one. And Garrett's, you know, a phenomenal talent, but what Watt's right up there with him. The point of that position is to create negative plays for the offense. Right. And that's, yeah, all TJ Watt does like every game, multiple times a game. So, I mean, there's, I don't know what more he can do to get a higher ranking, honestly, based on what he's done. He's had 44 TFLs and 37 and a half sacks in the last. In how many games? In (laughs) 30 games. Yeah. Yeah. 80 quarterback hits per per pro football reference. Just insane stats, man. Like, yeah, he's that dude. He's made four pro bowls in five years. I think it was last season where, you know, he, he was trying to approach the sack record and was clearly injured, like limping around on the field, dealing with like multiple injuries and was still out there just getting sacks, was still with, out there just being dominant. With all due respect, like he's playing opposite of Alex Highsmith too. Like it's not like he has like a second guy that's like taking, you know, a lot of this off of his plate, you know, uh, to it was banged up or was it was out last year. Not like they had a whole lot working for them in that front other than TJ Watt. Yeah, he's absolutely an exceptional player. And I I get it, it's three points on the Madden rating system. But maybe we do need to do a little bit more investigation into their evaluation process on this. The uh, last group that they've released so far is the running backs. Derrick Henry leading the way at number 97. Christian McCaffrey at 96, still holding on strong in the top three of the NFL, despite not playing very much over the last couple of years. Uh, Nick Chubb also at 96. Jonathan Taylor at 95. And Dalvin Cook at 94 to round out the top five. Uh, You see Nick Chubb and you see McCaffrey and think, yep, same player. What are we doing (laughs) here, man? (laughs) One is so, so much better than the other. As far as like what he brings to the table, just everything that he's able to do on the football field and by staying on the football field. Um, what is it about McCaffrey that you think that gets people going? Because this is it was an ESPN thing, too. Why are people just infatuated with this guy? Because well, of what I mean, he, he did he, once upon a time. Yeah, I mean, he was very, very, very good. Sure. Right. Like, it, I, I guess it's just like a recency thing. And like, do you think injuries are? just a short-term blip on the radar. I mean, that that's the big question, right? I mean, it's a running back position. We know they get banged up. They take more hits than absolutely anyone else on the field. Like, you, those guys usually don't end up bouncing back the way you assume that they would. So, I, I guess that's kind of what they're thinking. But, like, if you, if you gave me the options right now, like, Najee Harris or Christian McCaffrey, who would you take? I'd take Najee. I really would. Yeah. Yeah, as long as he doesn't have to run behind the Steelers. Off the line. Right. I mean, that that's the thing, right? Like, if you're talking from a fantasy perspective or something like that, I, I would understand why you wouldn't take him necessarily. But like, if you're just talking about like him as a as a individual talent, like I take Najee right now, especially in his contract and all that stuff over over Christian McCaffrey. 
I do think when looking at these and then, you know, the ESPN ones that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, like it does feel like everybody's kind of chasing who that next like top tier running back or next like group of them is going to be maybe. And so Christian McCaffrey still getting that bump because when he was so good, he was you know one of the most versatile running backs in the NFL, but he hasn't been that for two years now. So at some point that's got to decline. And they also had Joe Mixon at 93 and Alvin Kamara at number at 90. Like, I, I still think I would put Alvin Kamara over Joe Mixon, like Alvin Kamara, even if you want to make the argument that he stepped back a little bit last season, like he's still one of the most versatile running backs in the NFL in a much bigger way than Joe Mixon ever has been. Alvin Kamara, I, who I forgot about when talking about the Saints and the Lions, just proves my point, man. I just just got mad about that all over again. Stay mad. <laughs> see, see you in January, buddy. I'm sure you will. <laughs> Lions, baby. I'm going to talk myself into it just because justice is so confident. Don't do it. <laughs> But we do want to get into uh, some rookies that we like in the upcoming season. We haven't talked a ton about rookies on this particular podcast. So we we wanted to give you a couple that we're going to be paying really close attention to that we think like really have a chance to be different difference makers in their rookie NFL season. So I'll go first. I chose Buffalo Bills running back James Cook. I've talked about James Cook a ton. I just think he's got a chance to be something really fun and exciting in this offense because we've talked about the bills and they prefer to throw. And I think they should prefer to throw when they have Josh Allen as opposed to leaning on the running game, but they haven't really had a a reliable and viable running back, especially in the past catching game that they've wanted to utilize over the past couple of years. Devin Singletary did take some steps at the end of last season, but James cook is a versatile back in the past in the passing game that I don't think they've had in Josh Allen's career so far. And I think they could do some really, really creative things with James cook. I, I'm really excited to see what he looks like in this bills offense. Yeah. So I wonder how, how much different they're going to look because a lot of what they did last year was essentially just, you know, um, throwing screens and swings like passes as extensions of the running game. So they're going to have to be physical. I don't know if that is in their nature. It, who knows what to expect with Dayball not there anymore. So I think that kind of gives him a clean slate with, with Cook. But he does have the explosion. Like, he can make you miss. He has the wiggle in the open field. And that's probably what they were lacking. But at the same time, I don't think Devin Singletary is, like, a bad player. I don't know if he he adds, you know, if he's, like, a plus player at the same time. So I, I understand why they added Cook. But whenever I watch Singletary, it seems like he's breaking tackles. So maybe he just gives a guy to take some off Singletary's plate at the same time. I mean, just his ability on the perimeter is going to be the biggest deal, right? Um, I don't know if they're going to become a smash mouth team just because they have James Cook in the backfield. I was more always more impressed with, like, his ability out of the backfield and stuff like that, right? Like, big games, James Cook is catching a wheel route for Georgia. You're like, holy crap, how is this guy not being talked about as a first-round pick? And then you look at the rest of the games, and you're like, yeah, they're not dialing up these plays because they're, it's a Georgia offense that is complementary to this – juggernaut defense so they don't have to take those type of risks right um i i do wonder what they look like now that day ball is gone and ken dorsey is the offensive coordinator right like how do they start using tight ends because if it's still like the why off dawson knock stuff maybe it's just still the same stuff and they just end up using cook on the perimeter but it'll feel like oj howard can do some more stuff with his hand in the dirt they signed uh jalen weidermeyer who is talked about as like a potential top 100 pick until he kind of blew it at the combine and got signed as a UDFA. Maybe he makes the team. He's an inline tight end. So I could see them transitioning to more of like inline, like kind of like the NFL style 11 personnel where you got, you know, a guy with a hand in the dirt, you can run the ball inside a little bit more. They weren't really doing that in the past. And I kind of think if you are going to be that spread team, like cook is the type of running back that makes a lot of sense. Right. Like, I mean, his upside is what Aaron Jones like you take that, like he he needs a compliment. Like even Green Bay has used a compliment the entire time, right? It's been AJ Dillon or Jamal Williams to be able to be that inside runner. But if, if you do have that type of an athlete, there's certainly a massive role that you can give him if you're going to be a spread team. 
Right. He just has a little more juice in Singletary, and I think that's the biggest difference. So For sure. you can now use him on one side of the formation, take the other receivers, run them off, isolate him, and now you have the entire field for Cook. And that's what I imagine, like, if the Bills are created, they can use uh, with Cook. So who, who are some rookies that uh, you two are looking at this season that you're excited to see get on the football field? So I went defense. I went cornerback, which, uh, baby. Uh, Kyrie Lim, so Bills. Um, sticking with Bills, obviously. Very good team, so tough not to mention them. Um, Trey White coming off season in an injury. Don't know if he's going to be 100% right away. Kyrie Elam steps in. I just think he's going to be a baller. I think the way that he played last year, the way that he just matched up against the top, uh, some of the top receivers in the last couple of years, I guess maybe competed is a better way to put it. I am fascinated to see how he transitions to the NFL. I think they're going to be in a position where they're going to have the lead, so teams are going to have to throw and be forced to target Elam. Naturally, you're going to target the rookie. And I think he's go- he's not going to have like a, a Trayvon Diggs season where he has 11 interceptions but or however many interceptions he had. But I think that he's going to make – a ton of plays and it's going to look silly looking back where like why did this guy slip like why did he fall i think he's going to be a, a very special player and i think he's going to break out for the bills and probably be a big reason why they're going to be over the or he's going to put them over the top in the playoffs i should say i didn't take a single uh i didn't take a single offensive skill guy so i got like quite I, the guys i wrote down quay walker george Karloftis, charles cross um obviously all those guys are more of an impact in the box than on the perimeter. Quay Walker, I think he's just going to – I mean, what? He was first inside linebacker drafted. Um, he's got to be pretty high up in terms of, like, defensive rookie of the year odds just because people love to vote guys who, in who have a bunch of tackles. I think he's going to change Green Bay's defense fundamentally from, like, the structure standpoint, right? Like, Green Bay last year had to play a bunch of penny looks when they got against 11 personnel, which is basically, like – Think of like the three, four defensive front, but instead of getting rid of a nose tackle or something um, to get into nickel, they got rid of an inside linebacker. So they only had one guy, right? And it was just Devondre Campbell playing sideline to sideline because that's the only inside guy that they could really trust on a down to down basis, right? Like they, they signed Jalen Smith midseason and we're trying to, trying to figure out that situation, ended up having to let him go. Um, so getting Quay Walker in there and just having a second guy that can line up to Devondre Cam- with Devondre Campbell is going to help a lot. Um, it's going to keep the defensive line fresh now that they're not going to have to play five of those guys on every single down. George Karloftis, I mean, just the fact that you don't have to play Chris Jones at defensive end at any point this season because now you have already George Karloftis. Yeah, that's that's already a win. Plus, I really like Karloftis. I thought he was a huge value steal. Um, I, I would have had him you know, one of the probably like borderline top 10 guys in this draft. And they ended up getting him later in the draft. Like that's, that's the type of a move, you know, a championship team like the chiefs should be able to make, right? Like that, that's another nice one. And then my last one, Charles cross, he was another value value pick. I thought, I I didn't think Charles cross was going to get to Seattle at all. I thought their glaring need at left tackle and kind of like where the tiers ended up dropping in the drafts. I thought someone was going to jump them for cross didn't happen. So he's going to end up being there. And I think he has a real chance to be, you know, a pretty good pass protector really early on. And I know we're not excited about the Seattle Seahawks offense, but I think cross, if you like offensive line play is going to be a guy that people are going to be highlighting week to week. Are you worried though? Because like we've seen some rookies come in and just like ball out like Slater last year, like we've seen some Mm -hmm. guys step in immediately and essentially be some of the top players at their position. He had Herbert. Cross does not. Right. And like Seattle's all like, we don't know what to expect, whether it's Locke, whether it's Geno. Like the quarterback can make your tackles, your offensive line in general, look a lot better. In general, offensive linemen rookies struggle. Like Andrew Thomas mm-hmm. was not good his first year. All, of all course, he got better. Yeah. Say. Like, yeah. Um, they get better as they go along. But like at the same, like, I think Cross is going to be a very good player. I'm not sure his rookie year is going to look great though. Just by the division they play in, um, they're going to be pass, they're going to be seeing some some dominant pass rushers every week. And the uh, the NFC West plays the AFC West, so you're getting that uh, all those guys too. So it's it's going to be tough for him, not just out of the gate, but for the entire 2022. He's gotten so many reps at it though. Like he was he was that five star kid coming out of 
uh, high school, ended up signing with Mississippi State. All they do is pass protect, basically. They're taking vertical sets. Like, if there was anyone that, like, you kind of build a background of, like, this is what it looks like, and he's a good pass protector early on, it probably looks like Charles Cross. Where I think he might get hung up a little bit is maybe in the run game, right? Like, if he struggles with length or something like that, and, you know, it's difficult to kind of find that strength and length, you know, even at the SEC level that you're going to see week to week at the NFL level, we've seen uh, bookends struggle with that early on. You know, that's kind of where I would be worried. But I think as a pre- pass protector, he's going to be fine. Those are just a few rookies that we're all really looking forward to seeing in the upcoming NFL season. But we need to take a quick time out right now. When we get back, please make sure you stick around for our conversation with the president of Pro Football Researchers Association, George Bazika. <laughs> What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into NFL University. I'm Steven Serta of Arrowhead Pride, joined as always by Kyle Posey of Niners Nation, as well as Justice Mosqueda of Acme Packing Co. And we've got a special guest on today's show. We're very happy to be joined by president of the Pro Football Research Researchers Association, George Bozica. George Thank you so much for giving us some time. Uh, we're really excited to chat with you about the upcoming uh, finalist class of the NFL Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So I, I wanted to ask you, and I, I think there is kind of a, a disconnect sometimes between NFL fans and, and how the Hall of Fame works and how the election process works. So for our audience members who who don't understand you know, the different levels and the way and everything that goes into coming up with these lists of finalists each year. Can you explain that process a little bit for them? Sure. Yeah, I think I think sometimes the fans look at like their their favorite player or the player that was like, uh, you know, really good for their team and things. Well, you know, those players all deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And, you know, it, it's it's the best of the best uh, this year and actually for the next three years. And one thing that our organization is really excited about is that the Hall of Fame decided to increase the number of possible seniors. Uh, Over the next three years, up to three seniors can be uh, finalists as part of the final vote. Uh, Right now, we're at the semifinalist stage, uh, and we have two lists that we're looking at from a senior standpoint. We have a a senior players list, and we also have a senior coach and contributor list. Uh, And as I said, for the next three years, there, there could be up to three of those senior players and one coach contributor that'll go to the final vote. Um, that list came out, you know, a few weeks back uh, on July 27th. Those lists will be whittled down to 12 uh, by the two committees: the committee for the for the senior players, and also the the committee for the uh, coaching contributors. Uh, and then in August, both committees will meet again. The senior players committee will then recommend up to three players for the final vote and the coach contributors, the, the one, uh, and then you could have up to nine in the final class. There'd also be five modern players. So this senior class is relatively new. Was there some pushback from the committee about like when you guys were introducing this or was this kind of widely accepted? No, I think it was pretty widely accepted. I, I mean, I know our organization is always pushing for more, of the the senior players and even the super seniors, uh, you know, players that, uh, borrowing a, a a term from from somebody else, but super seniors go back before World War II. Uh, you know, for a number of years we had endorsed, you know, four players: Max Speedy, uh, uh, Al Wistert, uh, Laverne Dillwig, and uh, one other who's slipping my mind right now. But but Speedy got in uh, in the Centennial class. Uh, we're still endorsing Wister and Dilweg. We were happy to see that Dilweg made the final cut, at least in the semifinalists, because uh, he goes all the way back to the 20s, and he was just a guy that fell through the cracks. In fact, I think that's that's true of a lot of these guys from way back when. They just, you know, flew, you know, fall through the cracks, and uh, and then 
you know, the sometimes the modern fan doesn't know they, you know, I think they glaze over when we mention some of those names. Uh, and I just remember the other player was Duke Slater, uh, who was an African-American back in the day that played in the early years of the NFL. And he was also part of the centennial class, which we were really happy to see. So, you know, I, we like to see some of those super seniors. I mean, I think it's a varied list that they came up with, the players, and uh, and and really an interesting list with coach contributors this year. When you're looking at this list, you know, in terms of the finalists, are there any names that stand out? You talked about Laverne Dillwig, um, mm-hmm. you know, out, outside of him. Like, what names – because we get this big list, right? We get this big list of, right. like, 40 names. And yeah. it, it's hard for us to parse out, like, okay, who do we expect actually – to like make it through like when you're looking at it who do you expect to be in that conversation for the final three you know i mean obviously they all bring something to the table uh i think part of the the problem that i see when you look at the list sometimes are are they the best of the best uh for example i look at somebody like clay matthews i'm i'm from ohio i've been a browns fan my whole life and you know i i have a soft spot in my heart for clay matthews he was a really solid linebacker for the browns for a number of years I, I was talking to, you know, my son the other night. I said, you know, I never really considered Clay Matthews Hall of Fame. I always thought he was just a little under Hall of Fame. Uh, he made the cut, and that's great. And if he gets in, that will be great for Browns fans. Uh, but, you know, I think that's what we look at. The, the names that, that sort of stand out to me are, are uh, another linebacker, Chuck Howley, who played for the Cowboys back in the 60s. Uh, he is the only uh, player who played on a losing Super Bowl team in Super Bowl five and got most valuable player uh oddly enough when i was i was sort of vetting some of these guys he really didn't even want the award but he decided to take the car so he could give it to his wife as a as a prize because because uh, <laughs> he uh he said that you know he said the main thing was we wanted to win the super bowl <laughs> and we lost to the colts it was one of the ugliest super bowls of all time i remember watching the game uh the colts won on the last second field goal 16 to 13 but then the next year holly was part of the uh, Cowboys team that that uh, beat the Dolphins in, in Super Bowl six, but uh, Holly stands out. He was a great linebacker during that whole time frame, and he just it's one of these guys, like I said, that sort of slipped through the cracks. So I, I he's sort of up there at the top of the list. Another linebacker is Randy Gratisher, who played for the uh, Dolphins. He was part of their Orange Crush defense uh, back in the seventies. Uh, he played in the Super Bowl Super Bowl uh, nineteen seventy seven. Although the 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 uh, Broncos didn't win that one, but, you know, he was considered a real technician. Uh, I think part of the problem with him is that he was also during an era when you had great linebackers, you know, with the Raiders and with the, you know, the Steelers uh, and the Dolphins, which were, you know, the teams of that age. And I think he sort of got, you know, pushed by the wayside. I mean, Woody Hayes, when he played at Ohio State, said he was the best linebacker he ever had, uh, you know, and he, he carried on that in the NFL. So he's another one that I see as uh, you know, possibly making that final cut. Uh, those are two that stand out to me. And I really think one of the super seniors, whether it's Dilwig or, or Cecil Isbell, who was uh, basically a, a single wing type of quarterback for the uh, Packers back in the day. Uh, and actually I was interesting. He, he had the record at the time for touchdown passes in consecutive games at 23, which Unitas then broke and eventually Drew Brees broke. And he was the first NFL quarterback to throw for over 2,000 yards, which is nothing today. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's still a great staff for him in 1942. You know, I think that's another problem with some of these seniors, too, is we've had so much inflation with statistics that, you know, when you look at some of these guys and compare them to some of the modern-day players, it just, you know, it, it doesn't compare. But they were great players in their day. It's just that statistics were different back then. So – can you and I think you you kind of did a little bit right there, George. But can can you kind of you know explain to us how you weigh qualifications for the guys that you expect to get in? Like you know, some uh, voters might say it's about rings, and mm-hmm. you know, it comes back to that argument as to well, they never really did it in the regular season, but they've got these rings because of the teams yeah. that they were on. Or is it your, I'm looking at the body of work, like the rings are great. They're, they're a good qualifier, but it's not everything. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it's everything. I think, I think it's a, it's sort of a totality of things. Uh, I think rings is one. I mean, obviously if you played for the superior team during your era, you know, that carries some weight because obviously you're one of the better players playing on the better team. So I think that carries some weight. Uh, for a lot of people, they look at whether you were, were an all pro 
uh, the best of the best. And how many times were you an all pro? Uh, another thing is pro bowls. Uh, and then another thing that that's been looked at, which has been a source of sort of debate in our organization is all decade teams. Uh, you know, we always, always hear, well, this guy was on the 1930s all decade team, or this guy was on the 1960s all decade team. Uh, a lot of the people in our organization feel that that's maybe a little bit arbitrary and maybe you should look at it maybe from, uh, you know, the middle of the decade into the middle of that, maybe use different time frames because it's just arbitrary to pick a decade. So I, I think it's a totality of those things. I think also you do look at statistics, obviously, if they set some type records and stuff like that. I think you look at that. Um, so, I, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, that totality of everything. I don't think it's just about the rings, but, you know, obviously look how many Steelers are in the Hall of Fame. Uh, look how many Packers are in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for that because they were the best of the best or look at the Browns in the 50s. And, you know, I'm sure with time to come, we're going to see a number of Patriots get in the Hall of Fame. So it, it just is what it is. They're the best of the best on the best team. So speaking how, of totality. Yeah. And speaking of all pros. Super Bowl appearances, Pro Bowls, all-decade mm -hmm. team. And I, I want to be clear that I have a bias here. Yeah. In what world is Roger Craig not a Hall of Famer based on everything that you just said? And maybe it's because we're too early. Maybe a decade from now, two decades from now, he will get in. But you talk about stats and like he was, he did a thousand, a thousand. And nobody else did that. And I think Chris McCaffrey was the third person to ever do that. So a lot of – Everything that you just said essentially to me comes off as this guy is a special player who not a lot of, you know, not a lot of other people have been able to accomplish what he's done um, from winning on, you know, on the field. So, uh, yeah, what what do you think is the holdup with Roger Craig? Yeah, you know, I, I just think there's so many at that position. You know, like you look at the class right now, the seniors, I mean, there's just so many linebackers. I, I did sort of a breakdown because I was just interested. There's like six wide receivers and like five linebackers and make up that. So. You know, you and and oddly enough, he's the only running back, right? Which may mean that his chances may be pretty decent. You know, if, if the if the committee decides, you know, that they don't want to go all in on some of the older players and sort of play, you know, makeup for the centennial class, because I know that's been something that's been sort of out there. Are they going to play some kind of makeup with the centennial class? Then you know, I, I think Roger Craig does, you know, have a good portfolio. I mean, three Super Bowls. I mean. You know, obviously the best team of that era, uh, you know, as you said, the first thousand thousand, you know, I, I, I think that's that's amazing in and of itself. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely has her credentials. Uh, so there's no question. You know, I sometimes wonder if the argument is, well, he played on the Niners. How could he not be a good running back? You know, but, right. you know, but still, you know, that I, I think that's a weak argument. But, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. I think I I feel that, you know, his day may come. It may not just be this year. I guess my, my follow-up real quick to that is the further we get away from like 70s, 80s, 60s players, do you think their chances just lessen or, or does that have any sort of impact? Um, repeat that, please. So the further we get away from the senior class, the super senior class, do you think mm -hmm. that hurts their chances to make oh, a yeah. fan? Yeah, most definitely because they're forgotten. It's like I say, you know, most people look at the modern names on the list, you know, the the Klecos, the, the you know, the uh, – just who um, you remember. Clay, the Claytons, you know, yeah, I, I just think – I think the modern fan, as I said, their eyes just glaze over. These names don't mean anything to them. You know, at least they can say, you know, I mean, uh, if you've seen a player, it means something to you, you know, because, you know, you can sort of rank him. And I think that's true in any sport. You know, it's like it's like a Michael Jordan basketball. You know, I mean, he's – I feel like he's the best i ever seen because I've seen him play. You know, all I can do is go research, you know – the guys that played before my time frame. So, you know, I, I hear, oh, yeah, they were great, but, you know, there's some tape on those guys. But, you know, it, with football, it's even harder because, you know, there's obviously not a lot of tape back from the 20s and the 30s. So, you know, it's, it's hard. But, you know, there are stuff out there. I mean, a lot of our members do film study and look at these guys. But, yeah, I think it gets more difficult every year. There's no question. I think that's why the Hall of Fame is doing what it's doing, is try to open the door for more seniors to get in to try to, you know, make up for that. You know, it's like, it's like a number of years ago when Steve Young and Marino went in, and the same year, two super seniors went in, and Fritz Pollard and Bernie Friedman, who or Benny Friedman, I should say, who you know probably deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, possibly even in the charter class in '63, and just you know didn't make the cut. How difficult is is it to kind of prognosticate like? 
what coaches and contributors go in because at least on the player level, right? Yeah. You can look at statistics and stuff like that. But when right. you see this list of the contributors and, you know, there, there's a, a public relations guy on there. I know like it, it, it's, it's hard to like contextualize. Like, does this guy have a shot? I, I really yeah. don't know. Like I, right. I wish they would give us kind of like more blurbs or, or talk about like why this public relations guy got in. Right. Or yeah. why, why he's on the list for finals. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about Lee Remo, who was, you know, the public mm. PR guy, but he's also a, a sports writer. Uh, but yeah, I, I was actually sort of surprised when I saw this to see his name on there. I mean, I know he's a, a we we are working on a great teams in pro football history series through our organization. And the the way I was introduced to Lee Remo was the first book that we did in the series was on the 66 Packers, the Lombardi Packers who won Super Bowl and his name, you know, we did a lot of newspaper research and his name popped up over and over and over again. I was still surprised to see him on the list. I was I was sort of less surprised to see like Rune Arledge because, you know, Rune Arledge produced Monday Night Football, you know, back in, in Monday Night Football's heyday. You know, having seen the original Monday Night Football, what we see today is just a shell of what that original Monday Night Football was, you know, with Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell and Don Meredith. Uh, but, you know, he was responsible. He was a producer at ABC Sports that, you know, basically nurtured that and grew it into what it was. So, uh, you know, but yeah, it is difficult. I mean, I see I see one like big name on there that I think everybody sort of expects to get in, whether it's this year or next. And that's Robert Kraft, you know, especially if you look at what's been happening the last couple of years. You know, Jerry Jones got in, you know, DeBartolo got in. You know, it seems like they're rewarding their own, so to speak. And, and you know, the, the owners of the current dynasties are all getting in. So I think he's a big name on the list. The, the two that, that pop out as coaches are Don Coriel, because people have spoke about Coriel a lot recently because of, you know, Eric Coriel and, you know, the fact that he opened up the offense with Dan Fouts and the great receivers he had. And then the other one is, is an older coach, Buddy Parker. Uh, you know, Parker coached uh, the Lions back in the 50s. And I know most modern day fans think, geez, did the Lions ever win any NFL championships? Well, yeah, they won three back in the 50s and two were with Buddy Parker when they had, you know, Bobby Lane, a, a Hall of Famer, and they had, uh, you know, Doak Walker, a Hall of Famer uh, on that team. And, and they actually, you know, did very well against the team of that era, the Browns, and beat them, you know, a number of times in, in championship games. So, you know, you look at those guys and, and those are the two that sort of stick out. But, but you're right. I mean, I look, there's like there's a number of scouts on the list. There's uh, there's two officials on the list, Jerry Seaman and Jim Tunney. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if it's time for one of those guys. There's even the guy on the list that that founded Elias Sports, uh, 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 Seawolf. So, you know, it, it's an interesting list. Another li name that that kicks out to me and only because we we just profiled him in our most recent book on the 51 Rams. And that's uh Eddie uh, Kotal, uh, he was one of the first really, a lot of people say he was sort of like the first modern scout and he was responsible for putting together those great, you know, Rams teams of the fifties with Norm Van Brocklin and Bob Waterfield, uh, Crazy Legs Hirsch and all those guys. And he was one of the first scouts also to scout from, uh, from historically black colleges and universities uh, with Tank Younger and, and some of those players. So, you know, he he's uh, he's a guy that I think deserves really strong consideration. I just don't know if the NF, if, if they're ready to put, you know, uh, somebody in just as a scout, just as we said. Uh, although, you know, Bill Nunn made last year and he was sort of a player personnel scout type of guy. So, you know, maybe that opens the door for that type of thing. There's even uh, Amy Trask, who was uh, who uh, if she made the cut, she'd be the first female member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. She was a. Uh, you know, an executive with the uh, Raiders. So I, she's an interesting name. There's really are, as you said, that coach contributor list is really interesting when you see, you know, what the background is of some of these people. And then, of course, there's the regular owners too, like uh, Adams with the Oilers and uh, Titans and some others. But, you know, you sort of expect to see those names on there. I think my last thing is, and Coriel reminds me of a lot of Craig in my argument, where I mean, how much does influence play a part? Because without Coriel, you probably don't have like Bill Walsh opening up and then obviously the air raid and everything else has come in the nineties yeah. and two thousands. So I'm like, influence has to play a factor here, right? Yeah, I, I agree. And and that's, that's been the argument with Corey. Is he not only was a great coach. I mean, everybody, everywhere he coached, he won. He coached with the Cardinals and was successful. And he coached with the Chargers all those years and was successful. But yeah, he's also, 
he's not only a coach, he's a contributor because of, you know, the, the offensive, you know, uh, you know, innovations that he made. Uh, I, I think the thing that holds Coriel back is they never made it to a Super Bowl. And we talked about that before, you know, he never got a ring. I think that that hurts Marty Schottenheimer. You know, he was with the Browns for a number of years. And I have a real soft spot in my heart for Marty Schottenheimer. I just, you know, I love Marty Schottenheimer, but he never won a ring. He went to, you know, three AFC championship games, or I should say two. He, but Carson went to the other one because he was fired, but uh, he went to two, you know, it was, it was a great era for the Browns. And then anywhere the guy went, he won. He just didn't win the big one, you know, but, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I, I think there should be a spot in the hall of fame for coaches like that, because how many coaches do you have in the hall of fame that won one Super Bowl? You know, I'm not taking anything away from John Madden. He's a beloved figure. He had a great 10 years as a coach, but he only won one Super Bowl. But I think with Madden, it's more than just the coaching. I mean, he's just a beloved figure, and maybe he's a bad example, but I think you guys understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, Marty, Marty's being penalized for losing to John Elway, Jim yeah. Kelly, and Tom Brady. Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. How is that his fault? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Speaking uh, of rings – the the big debate I feel like just in terms of not not the seniors but like the the guys that we've seen right the, on on this podcast coming up it's probably going to be that quarterback class right it's going to be the Philip Rivers Eli mm-hmm. Manning right. Tony Romo and obviously that entire debate just circles around rings um, oh yeah no question what what's your opinion in terms of like if you were to like guess if they will get in or not like what what are your thoughts on that i i i don't know manning has the two super bowls and both over the patriots so i i think that that's a strong case for him i sort of expect him to eventually get in i mean he's not going to be a first ballot but i think he'll eventually get in uh you know with some of the other quarterbacks i mean i i look at marino uh as maybe the 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 example or template i mean marino never won a super bowl he got into one super bowl but he never won he lost to you know, the Niners and, and Montana, but, you know, I don't know how you could keep him out. I mean, Rivers has the numbers, uh, you know, Romo, I don't know so much, uh, you know, but I, they're, they're both sort of like maybe just sort of knocking on that door I, of the, of the senior class right now. I think a good example of that player is Ken Anderson, right? You know, uh, Ken Anderson had a number of really good years with the Bengals, took him to the Super Bowl again, lost to the Niners, uh, you know, and, and I, I remember, watching Anderson because he was in the same division with the Browns and he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks of his day. I think one season he had like a 70%, you know, completion, which was really unusual back then. Now it's more commonplace for these guys to, you know, complete a high percentage, but you know, you go back to, you know, Namus here at 50%. I, I saw something the other day that, you know, I always thought, well, Namus had a low completion percentage, even though I feel he totally deserves to be in the hall of fame, but actually he was right at around the norm for back then. So, I don't know. It's really a tough one because, again, it goes back to this number inflation. And I don't know how the selectors are going to weigh that because, you know, you're going to end up with a lot of quarterbacks that are going to have great numbers. And then you're going to have to divide those up and say, you know, did, did these guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? I remember, you know, somebody saying one time, well, they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame if you can't tell the history of pro football without them. That was, you know, sort of something that they always said. And, and I think that still holds some weight. So I don't know. I, I think that's going to be a really difficult one. And it's a real gray area right now because, you know, there's just going to be so many people that have great numbers coming out of this generation of players, whether it's quarterbacks or running backs or especially wide receivers. My God. So it's it just going to be interesting to watch. Yeah. Ken Anderson is always kind of the example I kind of look at too, because I, I did some error adjusting stuff for a project I don't know how many summers ago, but it was pretty clear that Ken Anderson is the best quarterback who is Hall of Fame eligible, who is not yeah. voted into the Hall of Fame yet. Like, it's not yeah. really even a question. Yeah. And yeah. Um, just like when, when you look at what he was able to do and the fact that he was actually in a Super Bowl. And if you go back and look at that Super Bowl, I mean, there's a I think it was a goal line stand from the one yard line that ended yes. up keeping him out of the end zone. Chris Collinsworth fumbled the football. Yeah. Yeah. There was a weird onside kick that was recovered. Yeah. Like a lot of things broke wrong for Ken Anderson to not actually win a Super Bowl ring. And yeah. then you look at, you know, Philip Rivers and, you know, to your point, right? Like the whole, uh, can you tell the story of the NFL without them? You look mm-hmm. at 
his biggest win is like a Thursday night football game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, it's, I mean, it, it he, he was fun to watch. People certainly have memories of him throwing to, you know, Antonio Gates and, you know, even throwing to LaDainian Tomlinson when he was going yeah. crazy. But he never really had those kind of that kind of big moment. No. And I think that's what no. hurts Romo, too. And I think yeah. to your point about the Madden thing, right? Like, I think Romo might get a boost from like the broadcast stuff, depending on yeah. how much people like him as a broadcaster. Because, right. yeah. I mean, it, it does play a factor like if Madden didn't have the game if Madden wasn't in our living room talking to us on through a teleprompter and stuff like that I, I don't know if he would necessarily get in but yeah no, and he I, did I, eventually yeah and I think that's definitely true because I remember back a number of years ago when you know like I said when Monday Night Football was in his heyday you know Howard Cosell every chance he would get would say well Frank Gifford deserves to be in the Hall of Fame you know he was with those great Giants teams of the 50s and you know he was a great all-around you know uh, uh, running back catch passes could do it all and a lot of people felt that, you know, his campaign on air helped Gifford get in. And then it was the same thing with Dan Deardorff. You know, they 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 pushed him real hard. So, yeah, I think it definitely helps, with, as you said, when you're in the living room, you know, uh, every Sunday or every Monday night or whatever day they play. Now it seems every day of the week. But, yeah, I think it definitely helps. So, uh, yeah, and I'm not saying Madden deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm just – it was probably a poor template. But, you know, I, I mean, everybody loves John Madden. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame – I think it would be diminished without him in it. Let's put it that way. If he wouldn't have gotten in as a coach, he certainly would have as a yeah. contributor now. I Yeah, I, I believe so. I think that's definitely true. I, I'd just like to say before we get out of here on uh, that Philip Rivers slander from Justice, uh, <laughs> he did tear his ACL in a playoff game and continue to play. I he mean, lost. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty impressive he moment. Lost. He lost. He lost. I'm just saying. It's, I, I think Philip Rivers had a more accomplished career. Did you know this guy got hurt? is a pretty weak <laughs> Hall of Fame argument. <laughs> it's not great. Yeah, I agree. It's not the greatest. But uh, thank you so much for the sure. time, George. Uh, again, he's George Bozica, president of the Pro Football Researchers Association. If you want to check out their work, you can go to profootballresearchers.org. Uh, again, thank you so much for chatting with us about the upcoming NFL holiday. Class. Yeah, thank you. I, I really enjoy it. And hey, I, I just a shameless plug. I mean, if you like football history, uh, you know, go on our website, become a member. It's a, it's a, it's $35 a year and it's $35 well spent. So, uh, uh, but yeah, thank you guys. I really enjoyed it. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on? Oh, mom. <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.